So, um, we're going to talk about grace through humility. And uh, I don't know why. It seems like, did they take out some rows here? It looks like you guys are like way far away or something. Um, <clears throat> um, but, <laughs> um, I don't know, has someone ever oversold something to you? Um, I, I can say this now because my son Aaron's not in the room. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'd say the, uh, the master of overselling is, is my son, Aaron. He'll, he'll be like, uh, you know, he'll go to some movie or something and say, that was the best movie I've ever seen. And the problem when he does that is like, you think like you're, when you go watch it, you have all these expectations that it must be like the best movie ever, ever made. And then you go watch it and you're like, I mean, that was okay, but it wasn't like the best movie because you, you've already put all these expectations in your head or um, uh, or that was the best restaurant that, you know, ever. And then once you get these expectations in your head, um, then you're stuck, okay? Um, we do the same thing. Uh, me and Lisa like Honda Odysseys. Um, just because from our experience, you know, they, they run forever. Um, <clears throat> but um, so when our kids started getting into that minivan era, we were like, hey, you need to get Honda Odysseys. They're great. Well, Aaron and Allie, they like Toyota, so they did that. Um, but Caleb and Hannah got a Honda Odyssey. Lucas Terry got a Honda Odyssey. And everyone's Honda Odyssey was fine, except for Caleb and Hannah somehow, for whatever reason, got a lemon. And I have no idea why. And it broke down all the time. So long story short, um, they don't think much of Honda Odysseys. And now they drive a Toyota. So <clears throat> that's the problem with overselling something. Um, but today as we look at this theme of grace through humility, my intention is to focus on the humanity of Jesus. And that is God becoming a man and what that means for us. And um, it means everything for us. That sounds like I'm overselling it, right? But I'm hoping that as we get to the end of the message, you will agree that without the humility of God, without him being born in the likeness of men and walking among us, we would have no hope at all. Um, just to refresh our memories, David kind of started this last week talking about the incarnation of Christ. Um, and the truth from last week really was this. Our salvation is as dependent on Jesus' humanity as it is on his deity. Um, the theme last week was grace through incarnation, and David mainly focused on how the incarnation, that is God becoming a man and the person of Jesus Christ, was necessary for the redemption of mankind. Um, a perfect sacrifice was necessary in order to redeem fallen man. And the four points um, that were shared last, that last week were one, the incarnation provided deliverance through death. Two, the incarnation provided fulfillment of promises. Three, the incarnation provided propitiation of sin. And four, the incarnation provided sacrifice without sin. And um, so I'm not going to rehash those things. Um, but I feel like we, you could sum up last week's message with this statement. If God or Jesus could not represent us, that he cannot redeem us. 
And that's the importance of God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ and living among, among us. So obviously, last week we looked at four things that were extremely important in answering the why question as to why Jesus came to walk the earth. And these four things were absolutely necessary, absolutely essential for our salvation. Um, but there were more reasons as well. And that's what I want to dig into today a little bit. So the difference really between last week and this week is just a slight nuance, but it will cause us to look at things just through a little bit different lens. Um, last week we talked about the grace through incarnation. This week it's grace through humility. Um, really it took humility for God to become incarnate. But um, last week we looked at the Philippians 2 passage. And, um, you know, if verse 7 of Philippians 2 is not the most amazing thing in the Bible where it says, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If that's not the most amazing thing, then perhaps it is what happens in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it already took uh, the most humility ever to, to come take the form of a servant and be born in the likeness of men, and even in being here on the earth, you know, being fully God, to, to humble himself, um, to become obedient. Um, to the point of death, even death on a cross, <clears throat> would even take that much greater humility. But, so what is humility? Let's define it. In Philippians, it ties it to obedience to God. Put another way, humility embraces the reality that I am not God, but I am a servant of Almighty God here on earth to do His will. That's what, how Jesus looked at it. This is why we should marvel at the fact that Jesus humbled Himself because He is God and yet chose to set those divine privileges aside in order to walk in man's shoes. <clears throat> to be clear, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He emptied himself not of divinity, but of the privilege of not being human, not being a creature, not suffering the bounds of limitations of our finite selves and the pains and afflictions of our fallen world. Um, another person put it this way, it was an emptying, not by subtraction of divinity, but by addition of humanity. Um, and the extent of that humility is unfathomable. unfathomable. Um, but we're, we're completely thankful for it. And that's what we celebrate even in these songs that we've been singing throughout this Advent season. And, you know, we could sing these songs year-round, really. Um, but a lot of times we spend the rest of the year just singing songs exalting Christ, which is also appropriate, you know. Um, when we did a series through the book of John a few years ago, I felt like we spent a good deal of time making the case for the divinity of Jesus. And rightly so, right? As that was the main point for John writing the book, as he stated at the, at the last chapter. But I feel like sometimes in most Christian circles, most time, uh, more time is spent talking about the divinity of Jesus, and not much time is spent talking about the humanity of Jesus and, and how that impacts our lives. So let's take a minute and talk about this. Not only did Jesus have a fully human body, 
but he also had a fully human mind, heart, and will. And as a human, Jesus experienced all the ordinary limitations of humanity. He grew and developed. Um, for those who have teenagers, he went through teenage years, had hormonal changes. He experienced hunger, thirst, weariness, and the full range of human emotions. He experienced temptation, yet without sin. And um, in case you're wondering, because I was, so, well, how's, how'd that work, you know? Um, well, if you think about it, you know, because Jesus did not, he took on human nature, but he did not take on, he did not, was not born with a sinful nature. And, uh, well, then how was he tempted, you know? Well, Adam and Eve were tempted prior to the fall, and they did not have the sinful nature to sin. Sinful nature had not yet infected humanity. So there can be temptation um, without the sinful nation, without the sinful nature. Um, so I want us to focus on some other aspects of Jesus's life and how they impact us. Um, I kind of started by asking myself the question: What if there were no Jesus? Or maybe another way to say that: What if what if the plan God had for redemption? was just to send down a fully grown man on Good Friday, die for our sins, get, be raised three days later, and, and go back to heaven. Um, what would our Christian lives be like if we did not have the, the grace that God provided in showing us Jesus living a life on the earth for which a good portion, again, this is a grace of God to us, um, a good portion of his life was recorded and preserved so that we have the opportunity to see how he lived among us and be strengthened by his example. <clears throat> um, I, I just think that's amazing. I mean, if you, it's not, <clears throat> um, you know, for those who might question the Bible uh, or the authority of the Bible, it just, it makes complete sense, in my mind anyway, in my opinion anyway, that if God were to come down and, 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 and show us, you know, who he was, that, that someone would record these things and they would be around for years for us to, 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 um, to have as an example for us and to be strengthened by that example. Um, uh, just as an example, um, for how we are strengthened by someone else's experiences. Um, uh, my wife, Lisa, she had a, a medical uh, situation when she was a teenager where she was in the hospital for a long time and she had a couple surgeries and it was a real lonely time uh, for her. And actually as a result of part of that, she came to know the Lord. Um, but ever since that time, um, because of her experience of walking that walk, she, um, she, has, she can sympathize and empathize with anyone who's going through something in, with a medical condition, especially um, if they're in the hospital. And it, it's, it's great for me, but uncomfortable for me. I, I've pretty much gone through life pretty unscathed um, and... Uh, not really had a lot of hospital time. And so whenever I, you know, need to go to a hospital to visit someone or to see someone, it's, 
it's just not comfortable. And, and I just, I, it's awkward. I don't know. I'm always like, I don't know what to say. But like, I have my wife with me. I'm just kind of like, let you do the talking, you know? I mean, she just, <laughs> it's just, she can, people are strengthened by her um, empathy and her sympathy because she, she knows what that experience feels like. And um, likewise, I don't know that we would be able to um, understand that if we did not have the documented life of Jesus uh, for us. At least I wouldn't. Um, in Hebrews 2, it refers to Jesus as our brother. And, and I'm going to read this passage from Hebrews 2, uh, 10 through 11. It says, For it was fitting that he, and I'm going to found here because it's, there's a lot of he's in here, and some are God, some are Jesus. So, For it was fitting that he, that is God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that is Jesus, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, that is Jesus, and those who are sanctified all have one source. Literally, that word is all of one. Now, it, it, could, it could mean all of one father or all of one human nature. Um, not sure. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Um, so how could we identify with Jesus, our brother, if we as humans in a fallen world deal with hardships and suffering, and if he escaped all of these things? How would we be able to identify with him if, if he was able to come down here and just like, well, I don't have to go through those things, you know? Um, I'm Jesus. But he did not escape all of these things, and therefore we have a common spirit of unity and sympathy and camaraderie, even in our suffering. How many of you had a brother? How many of you had an older brother? Okay, that's a good, a good number of you. Um, can you think of some things that having a brother means to you? Um, here are some things that I thought of. Um, and of course, you know, okay, all of our brothers, I'm, I know we know, aren't perfect, okay, but in, let's not throw them under the bus necessarily this morning. Um, but in most cases, a brother loves you unconditionally, even knowing all your faults, and is for you in most cases, okay? I hope there's none that like, you know, I'm not even on speaking terms with my brother, you know? Um, <clears throat> but um, does that sound like Jesus as our brother? Absolutely. Um, I have to admit, I was a quirky little brother um, to my big brother, and I'd get mad um, if he didn't want to play with me when I wanted to play. And because uh, he just, I felt like he was lazy and just wanted to watch TV and cartoons and stuff. And, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to play in the backyard. And um, so sometimes I would do things like go back to the bedroom and tear up all his baseball cards, ripped every one of them in half. That was pretty mean. And he didn't like that. Another time, um, I know we're not in the East Coast where I grew up, but there were 7-Elevens out there, 
And um, back in my day, um, they sold Slurpees, okay, which are just big ices, okay. And they used to sell them in cups that would have like um, sports stars on them, whether they'd be baseball players, football players, and whatnot. And we used to collect them, big like 32-ounce, you know, cups with, with uh, sports guys on them. So uh, another day, I got mad, and uh, he had his collection. I had my collection. I took his collection, put them all in a wheelbarrow, took a sledgehammer, and I mashed them all up to little bits and pieces. So um, at the end of the, um, actually, both those in incidents, I think, ended up in fist fights. Um, but the good thing is, like, for some reason, it's kind of weird, you know, because we would get into fights, but we had this, like, unwritten rule that, like, we couldn't punch each other in the face. So um, never got, like, real bloody or anything. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I knew that my brother still loved me and was my biggest supporter, even though I did some rotten things to him. And um, he's never held that against me. He doesn't hold it against me to this day. Um, how do we know that Jesus loves us and is our biggest supporter? Well, it has been said that the seriousness of an illness can be assessed by how radical the cure is that is required to overcome it. If you think of the treatment for cancer, you've got chemotherapy, which is like poisoning your body, and radiation, which is, you know, not good for the body in general. These are radical treatments for our bodies. Well, likewise, only when we look at the cross, God's cure for our sin, can we see the full gravity of our sick condition. But at the same time, the cross reveals the unsurpassable worth we in our humanity are mercifully given by God. So he absolutely loves you and me and is for you and me, or else he would not have provided the cure that demonstrated his unfathomable love. Um, another aspect of a brother that I thought of um, was that a brother will defend you and advocate on your behalf. <clears throat> um, I was thinking about the job of a public defender, you know, who, who is, is paid to advocate, advocate for, for uh, people. And um, I got to believe that in some people's public defenders' minds, they might be thinking, you know, I don't feel like advocating for this person or this person who, who just messes up their lives over and over again. But that's because, you know, it's, it's, if you think about it, aren't we glad that Jesus doesn't have that attitude, right? Because Jesus, having walked in our shoes, so to speak, understands our weaknesses and can truly advocate for us in the courts of heaven. And um, it's almost like if, and it takes humility to understand that. If the, the older I get, I mean, if I was a public defender, working with people, and, and I got assigned to people that like continue to mess up their lives. I understand the human condition. The older I get, I understand the, the um, depravity of man. I understand my own faults and failures. Um, and so um, it, would, it would cause me to empathize with others and, and sympathize with them. And, and that's, that's what Jesus was able to do. It says in 1 Timothy 2.5, 
For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Um, and then 1 John 2, 1 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is also our great defender against our foe, Satan. Um, Revelation 12 uh, talks about um, Satan being the accuser of the brethren. And in verse 12, 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And, um, and Jesus is our great defender who, who advocates for us against the accuser, our accuser, um, Satan. Um, another aspect of, of a brother is a brother identifies with you and will keep your confidences. What enables Jesus to do this? Well, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, which um, uh, I think was shared last week, um, but it's, it's, a great, it's a great verse, and I'm going I'm to read through it here. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't know why uh, this, uh, why he came up with this idea of this question, but um, Charles Spurgeon said that if you were given the choice to choose if you could have an angel live in your house or you could have Jesus live in your house, which, you know, I don't know, like I said, how did he dream up that question? Um, but uh, he said you should always choose Jesus. Because an angel could resent you because of his unsuffering. He doesn't know what you go through. He could begin to resent your weakness because he doesn't know what you go through. Jesus knows exactly what you go through. He has felt every feeling that you have ever felt. He has felt every temptation that you have ever felt. And he has suffered far more than any of us will ever suffer in our lives. And um, so... Um, Jesus is, um, identifies with us. The humanity of Jesus enables him to relate to us in a way angels or animals or anything else ever can, never can. And because he took on human nature, he can fully understand us through human experience. Um, for all the dog lovers in here, you know, you might spend time pouring out your heart to your dog, but... Um, I don't know if I do that to my dog. All I just get is a look back like, do you have something to eat? You know, so um, it just doesn't work the same. You know, run to Jesus, not to something else. Um, I'm using these parallels between a brother and Jesus, um, but there's a proverb that says this, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus really is that friend. I mean, he's he is, he is more than a brother. He is a brother, but he's more than a brother. 
He's the perfect brother. This is why we can go to Jesus with our weaknesses and know that he understands us. He knows how to pray for us and how to encourage us by his word and the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. When we struggle with life in a fallen world, we really cannot say, Jesus doesn't understand what it's like. But yes, he does. He lived a real human life and joined us in the muck and mire of a broken world. And so, um, you know, um, I think uh, even even in our humanity, when we when we kind of sometimes have pity parties of like, well, that person doesn't understand me, or um, they've never been through it, or something. Um, uh, <clears throat> um, I've gone to some meetings here recently where um, people are sitting around sharing issues that that God is helping them work through, and um, and different people have different things that they're dealing with that, that, that God is helping them work through. And, you know, the point is, it doesn't really matter what the issue is. I mean, it, you know, in, in our mind, you know, we play this game of like, well, I'm not really, I don't really, I'm not that, I'm not that bad, or that per, that's worse than what this is, or that issue is harder than mine, or this or that. The point is, it, it's all, we're all in a fallen world, and struggling with something. Um, but when we struggle uh, in our fallen world, um, Jesus understands. And, and I think that um, really, if we're completely humble, we could understand too, and not like look at one another in a judgmental way of, of others that are struggling, because Jesus doesn't look at us that way. Um, Jesus understands what you're going through today, and you can run to him. You can approach the throne of grace, and that's what he's asking us to do. And what's interesting is he's asking us to do it because he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, right? Um, we'll have this in the A&I time, but like, what, what is it that causes us not to run to him um, <clears throat> when we fail? when we mess up. Um, it's because some, there's something in us that's like, at least in me, that's like, well, but I messed up. You know, I don't think he wants me to come to his throne right now. And it's like, that's not what it says. It says because he can sympathize with our weaknesses, then draw near, okay, to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And what greater time of need is there than when we fall? Um, There's just something going on in our heads that we're like, when we fall, uh uh-uh, I'm not going to the throne of grace. I I think I'll just, you know, kind of like hide out over here. Well, I mean, as I even say that, I mean, that's what Adam did. You know, that's kind of what we do. But it is just so encouraging that that is not, what he wants us to do. He wants us to come to him. Um, <clears throat> praise God that we have the records, that he gave us the records, that we have them today, um, even 
of Jesus interacting with humanity as he did, because he could identify with us. He found a woman at the well who had been through many difficult relationships, lying low out of shame, and he tells her, even though the love you have experienced in your life has failed you over and over, God loves you unconditionally. We have that record. He interfaced with one who had fallen sexually, and the world had thrown to the, her to the ground in judgment, and he dispensed of her accusers and writes her a personal note in the sand. And, <clears throat> I mean, I think we feel like this woman became a follower of Jesus later. He encountered one who was hurting physically and whose health was not good, one who made a way through the crowds to barely touch the hem of his garment, and he noticed her, and he saw her, and he heals her. He encountered one who felt inferior and was hated by those around him, and he climbed the limbs of a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus looked up and called him by name and said, I'm going to your house today. For anyone who feels like an outcast, he encountered one whose life was so painful that they felt destined to suffer, and everyone who passed by avoided their pain and I'm not going to look at that person over there down uh, on the, and looks down on you for the torment you feel when self-harm feels right to you because you hate who you are and who you have become and you have no community because you're an outcast. And he feels compassion for you and he casts out the demons so that you can experience the peace of God. We have that record of Jesus. Sympathizing, empathizing with that, those, those people. When we doubt him, he shows up in our discouragement and shows us the nail marks in his hands and restores our faith. And even when we hurt him and he suffers on our behalf, he still cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Praise God that we have these records of his humanity to know that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Doesn't that sound like one who, or does that sound like one who doesn't get us? Does that sound like one who isn't for us? No. The last point I want to make about a brother is this. A brother can be an example to you. Okay? My older brother was an example to me. Now, in our world, a brother can be an example to you either good or for bad, right? I mean, okay, so this is where the analogy breaks down because Jesus is not going to be an, an example to us for bad. Um, only a good example. Um, I did learn some good things from my brother, um, but since I only had an older brother, I definitely had the benefit of learning from his mistakes as well. So those who had older brothers, I don't know, you might remember more of the things that like you shouldn't do from their example than what you should do. Um, <clears throat> so um, I'll tell you one story. Being the bratty little brother I was, I remember one time that he got caught. Um, I don't know. I think he was supposed to be home by midnight, and he got home at like 1 in the morning. And so uh, the next day in the afternoon, uh, he and my parents had a discussion. And, and the way our house, it was like a split-level house, so... They were like in the sub basement and my room was upstairs and I don't know, I don't know why I did this, you know, you think of 
I, I was probably 14, right? So this is what 14-year-olds do. Um, I had a tape recorder, so I just uh, taped the whole conversation just because I thought it would be funny to listen to. And um, um, just, just hearing his getting chewed out and listen to his excuses, especially about like how he got lost around the Washington, D.C. area. And I'm thinking like, no, I don't think so. I mean, we've lived here our whole life. I don't think he got lost. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, who knows why, but needless to say, I remember thinking, um, I don't want to ever get home later than when, I was, when I'm supposed to. So I did learn something positive from that. Um, now, I did other dumb things too, like um, I let my 14-year-old friend drive our car um, one night at a, to a school dance, and he put a dent in it, and um, I lied about what happened, and uh, funny thing is that my mom told me later that she knew my story was with hogwash. You remember that, Mom? I think, so, I mean, I, but actually it wasn't until years later that she told me that, so um, she was kind of protecting me a little bit too there, but uh, anyway, it was, it was only a small dent, but um, but back to Jesus being our example, the main thing that Jesus was an example to us in was an example of obedience. And Jesus' obedience was super important in what it means for our, our salvation. And um, I want to read this passage from Romans 5, um, 15 through 21. Um, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, talking about Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus is obedient. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I just want to state up front that, um, in my understanding, Jesus was not a superhuman, okay? So we don't, we don't have the excuse, we cannot just say his obedience was based on just saying, well, he was God. Um, you know, that's how, that's how he was able to do that. Um, no, that's not my personal belief on that. Um, Hebrews 5.8 says he learned obedience through what he suffered. He had to trust the Word of God, rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't believe obedience just came easy to Jesus, um, and it's not going to come easy for us. I believe that Jesus waged a lifetime of warfare with Satan and sin, and so must we. And he did so in perfect obedience, um, but us, not so much. So what is our response? Well, one, 
I think we need to praise God that his acceptance of us is not ultimately based on our obedience, but on Christ's perfect obedience. That is, that is a huge praise. Okay. Two, we must resist the urge to find our fundamental identity in anything other than Christ, including like, wow, it was a good week. I've had some good days. You know, I don't think I've done anything wrong in, in a while now, so I'm resting on my laurels. No, no. Our fundamental identity should not be in anything other than Christ. Um, and three, um, even though there's those first two, we do need to continue to strive to be obedient children of God, for we do have admonitions, as in First Peter, to follow his example. I'll read First Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. So what can we learn of how Jesus was able to be obedient to the Father? Um, <clears throat> now, I'm not going to read the passages in Isaiah 53 and things, but obviously it says like he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. and, um, and but, but my understanding... Um, Jesus did not sin, not because his divine nature overpowered his human nature, keeping him from sinning, but because he utilized all of the resources given to him in his humanity. He loved and meditated on God's word. He prayed to his father. He trusted in the wisdom and rightness of his father's will and word. And perhaps most significantly, he relied on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen him to do all that he was called to do. Um... And, and that's why, you know, I prayed this morning, as I just think of just what I said right there, I'm like, I fall short, you know. Do I, do I love and meditate on God's Word as much as Jesus did? Do I, it says in, in, in I think, <clears throat> Luke 5, Jesus would often slip away to a lonely place and pray. Often, you know. I mean, how often do we do that? Like, Okay, we get a little downtime. Let's like uh, get on our phones and like check some things that we like. I mean, how, it's just. I mean, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He 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 used the tools that God had. You know, these tools are available to us. I sad to say, but I think that we just sometimes we just don't avail ourselves of them as much as we could. Um, <clears throat> We have the account in Luke that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was led into the wilderness and was tempted, and that he returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus used Scripture to overcome temptation. We have that example in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus committed to pray to the Father to overcome temptation. Um, Jesus was a real man. He wasn't Superman. And um, if Jesus exercised superhumanity while walking the earth, then his superhumanity would not be our humanity. And I, and I believe that he, it, he walked in our humanity. Acts 10, 37, 38 says this, um, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
I believe Jesus was fully God and fully man, but I believe in order to be an example to us as to how we could live obedient lives to the Father, that Jesus lived out his mission fundamentally from his human nature with the Spirit's empowerment. And this has great implications for us because in Acts 1.8, Jesus said that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. The very same Holy Spirit which empowered Jesus for the mission of God will empower his followers to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And I hope this is encouragement to you this morning. Um, We know that the Christian life can be hard, often frustrating, and yet because we know that Jesus lived out um, of the power of the Spirit, and because that same Spirit is ours, we have that same power available to us to follow in his footsteps. And uh, we need to avail ourselves of it. We need to yield ourselves to the Spirit. We need to ask God to fill us. We need to um, just um, lean into those things that um, God has made available to us. Um, His Word, prayer, the Holy Spirit, um, so that we can accomplish what he wants to accomplish through our lives. Now, obviously, clearly, his mission for the Lord Jesus Christ and our mission are probably going to look a lot different, okay? But it's the same power that's available to us to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish while we're walking on this earth. Um, That same power is available to us that was available to Jesus to accomplish the mission that God had for him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as I even think about these things as I'm standing up here, I'm just thinking, God, that we need need the power of the Holy Spirit to even pray. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to have the desire to get in your word, God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to ask you to fill us with the Holy Spirit. God, I I just uh, pray, Father, that we just be... You give us an awareness of these things, Father, and um, help us understand that, that that you do want us to follow in Jesus' steps. And because you... There's something that you are doing in and around us, and you want us to be a part of it. And we need to understand what that is. We need to be aware of what that is. We can't, if we just wake up every day, start our lives, leave you out, God, we're going to miss it. We're going to walk through all of life and we're going to miss it. God, I pray that you would just open our eyes, help us to live this way, God, help us to, by the power of the Spirit, God, to um, be obedient children, be, be, be your children, um, and asking you, God, what, what is it that you want me to do, uh, um, and, and then empower me to do it, God, um, today, this next hour, um, give us the strength, give us the empowerment. God, all I can say is that we need you. 
We need you in every way. And I pray that you would um, meet us where we're at and and just um, speak to us individually, God, this week. In Jesus' name, amen.